In the year 155, Justin Martyr composes his first apology in Rome. Later, in the year 156, Polycarp, Bishop of Smyrna, disciple of John and teacher of Irenaeus, was martyred. Two decades later, between 177 and 180, Irenaeus became the Bishop of Lyons, France, and wrote Adversus Heresies, which brought the concept of heresy to the fore in the first systematic attempt to counter Gnostic and other aberrant teachings. In the same work, he taught that the most reliable source of apostolic guidance was the Episcopacy of Rome. Welcome to the Shalom Kaysen Show. Today's episode is number six of church history. We're covering the years between 155 to 180. But first, don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Everywhere else, please like, share, and subscribe. You can also support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. And if you have questions or comments, I would love it if you leave me a voicemail. All the links are in the description. Now let's get started. First, let's talk about Justin Martyr. Justin Martyr was born around 100 AD and died around 165 AD. He was an early Christian apologist and philosopher. Most of his works are lost, but two apologies and a dialogue did survive. The first apology, his most well-known text, passionately defends the morality of the Christian life and provides various ethical and philosophical arguments to convince the Roman emperor Antonius at the time to abandon the persecution of the church. Further, he also indicates, as St. Augustine would later regarding the true religion that predates Christianity, that the seeds of Christianity, manifestations of the Logos acting in history, actually predated Christ's incarnation. This notion allows him to claim many historical Greek philosophers, including Socrates and Plato, in whose work he was well studied as unknowing Christians. An unknowing Christian is a pagan who died before Christ but lived a virtuous life worthy of salvation. Justin was martyred along with some of his students. So let's go a little bit deeper into his life. His most famous work is The First Apology. The First Apology was an early work of Christian apologetics addressed to the Roman Emperor Anton Antoninus Pius. In addition to arguing against the persecution of individuals solely for being Christian, Justin also provides the emperor with a defense of the philosophy of Christianity and a detailed explanation of contemporary Christian practices and rituals. This work, along with the second apology, has been cited as one of the earliest examples of Christian apology, and many scholars attribute this work to creating a new genre of apology out of what was a typical Roman administrative procedure. Justin Martyr's Life and Background Justin Martyr was born in Flavia Neapolis, a Greek-speaking town in Judea within the Roman Empire. In the dialogue with Trypho, Justin explains how he came to Christianity after previously passing through the schools of Stoicism, Peripateticism, and Phythogoreanism, none of which I know what they are, and I'm probably really messing up the names bad, but we'll go on. After becoming interested in Platonism, Justin eventually converted to Christianity after an encounter with an old man, which Justin describes in the dialogue as a, quote, love of the prophets and of those people who are friends of Christ that possessed me, unquote. The equating of Christianity with philosophy is important for Justin as it explains the importance of the apologies in defending Christianity in philosophical terms. The first apology is dated between AD 155 and 157. 
based on the reference to Lucius Mun uh, Munatius Felix as a recent prefect of Egypt. The theologian Robert Grant has claimed that this apology was made in response to the martyrdom of Polycarp, which occurred around the same time as the apology was written. This correlation would explain why the apology heavily focuses on punishment by fire, a reference to Polycarp's burning at the stake. It is also generally believed that the, the second apology was originally part of the larger first apology, although there is uncertainty among scholars about this point. Let's talk about some of the themes in the first apology. First of all, he addressed criticisms of Christians. In the early chapters of the first apology, Justin discussed the principal criticisms of contemporary Christians, namely atheism, immorality, and disloyalty to the empire. He first argues that the name of Christianity by itself is not reason enough to punish or persecute, and he urges the empire instead to only punish evil actions, writing, quote, for from a name, neither approval nor punishment could fairly come unless something excellent or evil in action can be shown about it, unquote. He then goes on to address the charges more directly in which he argues that they are atheists toward Roman gods, but not to the most true God. He acknowledges that some Christians have performed immoral acts, but urges officials to punish these individuals as evildoers rather than Christians. With this claim, Justin demonstrates his desire to separate the Christian name from the evil acts performed by certain individuals, lamenting how, Christ, how criminals tarnish the name of Christianity and are not true Christians. And we have some of those people to this very day, especially in the Catholic Church, I have to admit, there are some criminals who, who bear the name Christian, who maybe bear the name Bishop, maybe they bear the name of Cardinal, but they have done many criminal things, many sins, and they should be tried criminally, uh, not theologically. And because a good Christian would not be a true Christian, would not be committing those crimes. Moving on. Finally, he addresses the alleged disloyalty to the empire, discussing how Christians do seek to be members of another kingdom, but this kingdom is, quote, of that with God, unquote, rather than a human one. The next topic he talked about was Jesus Christ as the Logos. Justin goes to great lengths in the first apology to defend Christianity as a rational philosophy. He remarks at how Christianity can provide moral teaching for its followers and how many of the Christian teachings parallel similar stories in pagan mythology, making it irrational for contemporary pagans to persecute Christians. One of Justin's most important themes involves his description of the Logos, a philosophical concept of order, of reason, and knowledge. Throughout the first apology, Justin argues that Jesus Christ is the incarnation of the Logos, which leads him to the proof that any individual who has spoken with reason, even those who live before Christ, connected with the Logos in the form of Christ and is thus, in fact, a Christian. The, this theme is paramount to understanding Justin's defense of Christianity and was a groundbreaking statement in Christian apologetic writing. The use of the term logos indicates that Justin likely drew upon prior philosophical teachings, but Justin makes the argument that these teachings represent only partial truth because they possess and are connected with only part of the overall logos. For Justin, Christianity represents the full truth logos meaning that Christianity is not only a meaningful philosophy, but it also completes and corrects prior thought 
to achieve the highest level of knowledge and reason, and I cannot agree more. Let's talk about he, uh, the early church practices that he discussed in his first apology. So the first apology provides one of the most detailed accounts of contemporary Christian practice. Those that are baptized are, quote, brought by us where there is water, unquote, where they are born again in the same manner of rebirth by which we ourselves were born again. After the discussion of baptism, Justin describes the practice of the Eucharist by his teachings of transubstantiation. Quote, we have been taught that the food over which thanks have been given by a word of prayer that is from him, from which our blood and flesh are nourished by transformation, is the flesh and blood of Jesus who became incarnate, unquote. Finally, he provides information on the weekly Sunday meetings of the congregation, consisting of readings from the Jewish prophets and the memoirs of the apostles, prayers, and a meal. Now let's talk about the historical and literary significance of the first apology. There has been significant scholarly debate about the extent to which Justin's apologies differed from prior and future apologetic discourse. Paul Parvis, a prominent Justin scholar from the University of Edinburgh, has noted that the first apology is unlike any apology that preceded it. It presents itself as a legal petition, a standard Roman administrative genre that seeks to change a legal precedent. In this case, asking Christians to be charged based on evil deeds rather than for being Christian in and of itself. But by including the descriptions of Christian practice and belief, Parvis argues that what Justin did was to hijack this normal Roman administrative procedure and turn it into a vehicle for articulating and disseminating the message of the gospel. Sarah Parvis, also from Edinburgh, further argues that scholars should do away with the classic conception of Christian apology as a vague group of writings offering some kind of defense of Christianity, and instead think of the category as one that was actually invented by Justin Martyr and then refined by later authors like Tertullian. And I think that is a great thought, and I totally agree. Justin Martyr basically invented Christian apologetics. Apologetics was a thing in Rome, and, and it was used to you know, try to change a legal precedent, but it was never used by Christian by Christians before Justin Martyr just to defend the faith. So it is um, really good. If you have time, go read the first apology. Moving on, scholars also note the importance of the explanation of Christian practice in defending the community as a whole. Robert Grant has noted that Justin did not provide much detail into the theological reasoning behind early church practices. Instead, he argues that Justin aimed to provide this information to both, quote, put forth the real nature of Christian life and to refute the slanderous claims of pagan critics. Now let's talk about his death and veneration. During the reign of Antoninus Pius, which was from 138 to 161, Justin arrived in Rome and started his own school. Tatian was one of his pupils. In the reign of, of Marcus Aurelius, after disputing with the Cynic philosopher Crescens, he was denounced by the latter to the authorities, according to Tatian and Eusebius. Justin was tried together with six companions by the urban prefect, um, and I'm not good at pronouncing Roman names, but I think this is Junius Rusticus, yeah, and he was beheaded. Though the precise year of his death is uncertain, it can be reasonably be dated by the prefectorial term of Rusticus, who governed from 162 to 168. 
The Church of St. John the Baptist in Sacrofano, a few miles north of Rome, claims to have its relics. The Church of the Jesuits in Valletta, Malta, founded by papal decree in 1592, also boasts relics of this second century saint. A case is also made that the relics of St. Justin are buried in Annapolis, Maryland. During a period of unrest in Italy, a noble family in possession of his remains sent them in 1873 to a priest in Baltimore for safekeeping. They were displayed in St. Mary's Church for a period of time before they were again locked away for safekeeping. The remains were rediscovered and given a proper burial at St. Mary's with Vatican approval in 1989. So if you live in America like I do, you could um, visit relics of Justin Martyr in Baltimore, Maryland. And that is very interesting. No, I'm sorry, not Baltimore, Maryland, Annapolis, Maryland. Um, in short, who was Justin Martyr? He was an early Christian apologist and philosopher. Most of his works are lost, but two apologies and a dialogue did survive. The first apology, his most well-known text, passionately defends the morality of the Christian life and provides various ethical and philosophical arguments to convince the Roman emperor Antoninus to abandon the persecution of the church. You can read the first apology at newadvent.org. Just go search Justin Martyr or search the first apology newadvent.org. So first we discuss the year 155 when Justin Martyr composed his first apology in Rome. Now we're jumping to the year 156 when Polycarp, Carp, Bishop of Smyrna, disciple of John and teacher of Irenaeus is martyred. So Polycarp was a Christian bishop of Smyrna. According to the martyrdom of Polycarp, he died a martyr bound and burned at the stake, then stabbed when the fire failed to consume his body. Oof, that is rough. Polycarp is regarded as a saint and church father in the Eastern Orthodox, Oriental Orthodox, Catholic, Anglican, and Lutheran churches. His name means much fruit in Greek. Both Irenaeus and Tertullian re record that Polycarp had been a disciple of John the Apostle, one of Jesus' disciples, um, and Jerome writes that Polycarp was a disciple of John the Apostle and that John had ordained him as Bishop of Smyrna. Polycarp is regarded as one of three chief apostolic fathers, along with Clement of Rome and Ignatius of Antioch. The sole surviving work attributed to him is the Epistle of Polycarp to the Philippians, a mosaic of references to the Greek scriptures, which, along with an account of the martyrdom of Polycarp, forms part of the collection of writings called Apostolic Fathers. After the Acts of the Apostles, which describes the death of Stephen, the martyrdom is considered one of the earliest genuine accounts of a Christian martyrdom. According to Irenaeus, Polycarp was a companion of Papias, another hearer of John, and a correspondent of Ignatius of Antioch. Ignatius addressed a letter to him and mentions him in his letters to the Ephesians and to the Magnesians. And we talked about um, we talked about Ignatius in another episode. So make sure you check out all the other episodes that are out there because there's a lot of information you'll miss if you just hop in here. But you can check out episode five to hear more about Ignatius of Antioch. So moving on. In particular, he heard the account of Polycarp's discussion with John and with others who had seen Jesus. Irenaeus reports that Polycarp was converted to Christianity by apostles, was consecrated a presbyter, and communicated with many who had seen Jesus. He writes that he had the good fortune when young to know Polycarp, who was then far advanced in years. Let's talk about the date of, of Polycarp's martyrdom. 
In the martyrdom, Polycarp is recorded as saying on the day of his death, quote, 80 and six years I have served him and he has done me no wrong, unquote. This could indicate either that he was then 86 years old or that he had lived 86 years after his conversion. We don't know which. Polycarp goes on to say, quote, how then can I blaspheme my king and savior? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season and after a little while is quenched. But you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked, unquote. That is a powerful, powerful quote. I need to read it again. Polycarp says before he was martyred, before he was burned at the stake, this is what he had to say, quote, how then can I blaspheme my king and savior? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season and after a little while is quenched. But you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. Wow, that is powerful. So Polycarp was burned at the stake and pierced with a spear for refusing to burn incense to the Roman emperor. On his farewell, he said, quote, I bless you, Father, for judging me worthy of this hour, so that in the company of the martyrs, I may share the cup of Christ, unquote. Polycarp occupies an important place in the history of the early Christian church. He is among the earliest Christians whose writings survived. Jerome wrote that Polycarp was a disciple of the Apostle John and by him ordained a presbyter of Smyrna. He was an elder of an important congregation that was a large contributor to the founding of the Christian church. He is from an era whose orthodoxy is widely accepted by Eastern Orthodox churches, Oriental Orthodox churches, Church of God groups, Sabbatarian groups, mainstream Protestants, and Catholics alike. Pretty much everybody respects Polycarp. Irenaeus, who was a young man, heard Polycarp preach, described him as, quote, a man who was of much greater weight and a more steadfast witness of truth than Valent uh, Valentinus and Marcion and the rest of the heretics, unquote. I have to mention that in episode five of Church History, I talk all about Marcionism, uh, Gnosticism, and these first three major heresies that popped up in the church. If you want to know more about that, check out episode five of church history. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to make like a list of all the episodes and what happened in each episode so that I can remember uh, what to, you know, what to tell people to go to. But moving on, um, Polycarp lived in an age after the deaths of the apostles when a variety of interpretations of the sayings of Jesus were being preached. His role was to authenticate orthodox teachings through his reputed connection with the apostle John. High value was attached to the witness Polycarp could give as to the genuine tradition of old apostolic doctrine. Um, his testimony condemning as offensive novelties the figments of the heretical teachers. Irenaeus states that on Polycarp's visit to Rome, his testimony converted many disciples of Marcion and Valentinus. I have more information on Marcion and Valentinus in episode 5, so go over to sdcasing.com, click on the history tab to check it out. So first, we talked about the year 155 when Justin Martyr composed his first apology in Rome. Next, we talked about the year 156 when Polycarp, Bishop of Smyrna, disciple of John and teacher of Irenaeus, was martyred by being burned at the stake and then stabbed. Lastly, we're going to go over the years between 177 and 180. 
Irenaeus becomes Bishop of Lyons, France, and wrote Adversus Heresies to bring the concept of heresy to the fore in the first systematic attempt to counter Gnostic and other aberrant teachings. In the same work, he taught that the most reliable source of apostolic guidance was the Episcopacy of Rome. All right. Irenaeus, born AD 130 and died AD 202, was a Greek bishop noted for his role in guiding and expanding Christian communities in what is now the south of France and, more widely, for the development of Christian theology by combating heresy and defining orthodoxy. Originating from Smyrna, he had seen and heard the preaching of Polycarp, the last known living connection with the apostles, who in turn was said to have heard John the Evangelist. Chosen as Bishop of, of this is hard to say, Lugdunum, Lugdunum, now Leon, his best known work is Against Heresies, often cited as Adversus Heresies, a refutation of Gnosticism, in particular that of Valentinus. To counter the doctrines of the Gnostic sects claiming secret wisdom, he offered three pillars of orthodoxy, the scriptures, the tradition handed down from the apostles, and the teaching of the apostles' successors. Intrinsic to his writing is that the surest source of Christian guidance is the Church of Rome, and he is the earliest surviving witness to regard all four of the now canonical Gospels as essential. He is recognized as a saint in the Catholic Church, which celebrates his feast on the 28th of June, and in the Eastern Orthodox Church, which celebrates his feast on the 23rd of August. Irenaeus was a Greek from Polycarp's hometown of Smyrna in Asia Minor, now Izmir, Turkey, born during the first half of the second century. The exact date is thought to be between the years 120 and 140. Unlike many of his contemporaries, he was brought up in a Christian family rather than converting as an adult. During the persecution of Marcus Aurelius, the Roman emperor from 161 and 180, Irenaeus was a priest of the Church of Lyon. The clergy of that city, many of whom were suffering imprisonment for the faith, sent him in 177 to Rome with a letter to Pope Eleutherius concerning the heresy of Montanism, and that occasion before empathetic testimony to his merits. While Irenaeus was in Rome, a persecution took place in Lyon. Returning to Gaul, Irenaeus succeeded the martyr St. Uh, Pothinus. It's really difficult to pronounce um, ancient Roman names, but I'm trying my best. Pothinus, St. Pothinus, and became the second bishop of Lyon. During the religious peace, which followed the persecution of Marcus Aurelius, the new bishop divided his activities between the duties of a pastor and of a missionary, as to which we have but brief data, late and not very certain, so we don't know how much missionary work he did. Almost all of his writings were directed against Gnosticism. The most famous of these writings is Adversus Heresies, which it translates to Against Heresies. Irenaeus alludes to coming across Gnostic writings and holding conversations with Gnostics, and this may have taken place in Asia Minor or in Rome. However, it also appears that Gnosticism was present near Lyon. He writes that there were followers of Marcus the Magician living and teaching in the Rhone Valley. Little is known about the career of Irenaeus after he became bishop. The last action reported of him by Eusebius is that in 190 or 191, he exerted influence on Pope Victor I not to excommunicate the Christian communities of Asia Minor, which preserved in the practice of the Quadrodeciman celebration of Easter. Nothing is known of the date of his death, which must have occurred at the end of the 2nd or the beginning of the 3rd century. 
He is regarded as a martyr by the Catholic Church and by some within the Orthodox Church. He was buried under the Church of St. John in Lyon, which was later renamed St. Irenaeus in his honor. The tomb and his remains were utterly destroyed in 1562 by the Huguenots. And we're going to talk about that when we get around to the year 1562, which is some ways away, but we will get there eventually. Irenaeus wrote a number of books, but the most important that survives is the Against Heresies, or in its Latin title, Adversus Heresies. In book one, Irenaeus talks about the Valentinian Gnostics and their predecessors, who he says go as far back as the magician Simon Magus. In book two, he attempts to, pr to provide proof that Valentinianism contains no merit in terms of its doctrines. In book three, Irenaeus purports to show that these doctrines are false by providing counter evidence gleaned from the Gospels. Book four consists of Jesus saying, and Jesus saying, and here Irenaeus also stresses the unity of the Old Testament and the Gospels. In the final volume, book five, Irenaeus focuses on more sayings of Jesus plus the letters of Paul the Apostle. Irenaeus wrote, quote, One should not seek among others the truth that can be easily gotten from the church, for in her, as in a rich treasury, the apostles have placed all that pertains to truth, so that everyone can drink this beverage of life. She is the door of life, unquote. And that is an excellent quote, so I have to read it again. Quote, One should not seek among others the truth that can be easily gotten from the church, for in her, as in a rich treasury, the apostles have placed all that pertains to truth, so that everyone can drink this beverage of life. She is the door of life, unquote. But he also said, quote, Christ came not only for those who believed from the time of Tiberius Caesar, nor did the Father provide only for those who are now, but for absolutely all men from the beginning, who according to their ability feared and loved God and lived justly, and desired to see Christ and to hear his voice, Irenaeus recognized that all who feared and loved God practiced justice and piety towards their neighbors and desired to see Christ insofar as they were able to do so, will be saved, and the Catholic Church agrees with that sentiment to this very day. Since many were not able to have an explicit desire to see Christ, but only implicit, it is clear that for Irenaeus, this is enough. The purpose of Against Heresies was to refute the teachings of various Gnostic groups, but apparently several Greek merchants had begun an oratorical campaign in Irenaeus's bishopric, teaching that the material world was the accidental creation of an evil god from which we are to escape by the pursuit of gnosis, which is a Greek word meaning knowledge. Irenaeus argued that the true gnosis is in fact knowledge of Christ, which redeems rather than escapes from bodily existence. There's a lot more we can say about Irenaeus, but we'll just leave it there for now. You can find out more about him at newadvent.org by searching Irenaeus. They also have the Against Heresies full text over there on newadvent.org. So let's do a quick recap on everything. First, we talked about Justin Martyr. He was an early Christian apologist and philosopher. Most of his works are lost, but two apologies and a dialogue did survive. The first apology, his most well-known text, passionately defends the morality of the Christian life and provides various ethical and philosophical arguments to convince the Roman emperor Antoninus to abandon the persecution of the church. Justin Martyr practiced fortitude. He was brave in the face of persecution and still defended the Christian faith, even though it cost him his life in the end. 
His apology was one of the first Christian apologies ever. We can practice fortitude by preserving during persevering during tough times. Sometimes it will be easier to commit that little sin, to tell a white lie, to protect your status or financial stability. Stay strong in the faith. Don't capitulate for any reason. Remember, ancient Christians had to face death to practice the faith, and Christians are being persecuted even to this very day. So we have to practice fortitude and perseverance, just like Justin Martyr did. Next, we talked about Polycarp. Polycarp was a Christian was a Christian bishop of Smyrna. He died a martyr, bound and burned at the stake, then stabbed when the fire failed to consume his body. He was a d- disciple of John the Apostle, and John ordained him as the bishop of Smyrna. Polycarp is regarded as one of three chief apostolic fathers, along with Clement of Rome and Ignatius of Antioch. High value was attached to the witness Polycarp could give as to the genuine tradition of old apostolic doctrine because he had a direct connection with one of the apostles. So what can we learn from Polycarp? He practiced justice, which is respecting the rights of others. Part of justice is loyalty. He was loyal to the teaching he received from John the Apostle, which is why he was a good source for orthodox teaching. You can practice loyalty to the Christian faith by learning from Polycarp. Go and read Polycarp's epistle to the Philippians on newadvent.org. And look, hey, I love newadvent.org. It is a wonderful site because it has a lot of these old documents up there absolutely for free. And very few other sites have that available. It actually has the whole Catholic encyclopedia if you wanted to check it out. Last, we talked about Irenaeus. He was a Greek bishop noted for his role in guiding and expanding Christian communities in what is now the south of France, and more widely for the development of Christian theology by combating heresies and defining orthodoxy. Originating from Smyrna, he had seen and heard the preaching of Polycarp, the last known living connection with the apostles, who in turn was said to have heard John the Evangelist. Irenaeus practiced the virtue of prudence, which is always moving towards virtue and away from vice. He taught us that there is a right way and a wrong way to practice the faith. He taught us that theological ideas matter and can make the difference between orthodoxy and heresy. You should always move towards the more orthodox faith as much as possible. One way to do this is to study church history like you're doing right now. For more details, go to newadvent.org and read Irenaeus' Against Heresies. You can also just listen to these church history podcasts, which will be coming out once a week. But there's five episodes already, including this one. There's six, and it'll really help you to understand the faith and practice the faith more because you will know what, you know, what our history is. And that's always good. But that's it. Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, like, share and subscribe. You can also support this podcast for as little as a dollar a month. The link is in the description. You'll also uh, get a free rosary ebook if you support me and I will have more exclusive content for supporters in the future. And that's it. Let's close out this episode as always in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless. And until we meet again, stay holy, my friends.